Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Mike McCallowitz, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, it is such a pleasure to be with you yet again. Yeah, it's always, it's great to have you here. It's always great to have you. You're an old friend at this point. Um, been on the podcast three times before. Uh, you've been a guest expert on Context and Clarity Live. That's our Thursday yeah. live simulcast. Yeah. That was the last time you've you've uh, touched base with us here at Entree Architect. That's the, our Facebook live call that happens every day. But we, on Thursdays, we have a live simulcast that goes out on YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitch, all live. Uh, hosted by Jeff Eccles and Catherine McPhail. So if you if you haven't been part of that, you should be part of that. Um, back in 2016, episode 147, you were here. That's how far back you've been on the podcast. Yeah, over five years ago. My gosh. Yeah, yeah. We talked about the uh, the iconic book, Profit yeah. First, uh, which has used hundreds of thousands of copies all across the the globe, referenced in the community almost every day. It certainly uh, resonates with our community. Then back in 2018, episode 241, you were back to talk about how to get our firms to run like clockwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you shared your your powerful method to make any business run on automatic. That was a good, a good, great book, great conversation. And then not too long ago, back in September 2020, episode 340, you introduced introduced us to the sixth book. Fixed this yeah. next sixth book, right? 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. Fixed this next and shared some strategies about how do we determine what to do and in what order yeah, yeah. should we do them and, and to ensure a fast, healthy, permanent growth uh, and sort of in, avoid those debilitating distractions that we all have. That book also, much like Profit First, really resonated with our community because I think mm-hmm. we all have so many things going on in our firms. We don't really know where we should start. And that book helped yeah. us to do that. Um, and then recently I, I heard from the, uh, the, the grapevine that there's a new book coming out called Get Different. And so that's yeah. really exciting. There it is. So there it is. Yeah. It's, it's uh, coming out on September 21st, 2021. And uh, the idea is to give us some tools on how to stand out in the market. It's a marketing book, so it's so pretty exciting. I, I'm super excited. It was funny as you're recapping those books. I'm like, wow, that's the inception right when those books were coming out. So when we did that episode back in 2016, yeah, Profit First was was unheard of. It was just starting. That was the revised and expanded edition. So there was a prior version I'd written that was circulating. But it's just funny because looking back now, um, what Profit First has done in those other books, it's it's cool. So th- just thank you. A big thank you for getting the word oh, out. Oh, you're you're very welcome. You've always been a good friend uh, to the community. Actually, our our first and you will not remember this because I just just popped into my mind while I was preparing for this podcast. But our first exposure uh, is that you cold emailed me back when you were promoting the pumpkin plant. Oh, and and I'm pretty I sure remember, if I remember correctly, I, I think it was you. It may have been somebody on your team, but no, you were you were asking you were asking if I wanted a book. And I had yeah. just started Entree Architect, and I'm like, I've made it. <laughs> I, I didn't even know who you were at the time. I'd That's never awesome. heard of the pumpkin plan. That's awesome. but, but I had an author email me, Mark LePage, and wanted to yeah. give me a free book. And I'm like, yeah. That's it. I'm in. I've done it. <laughs> I, I suspect now is like, oh my God, if I get one more effing book from somebody, I mean, I'm sure you get a constant stream. Case. I, I still PDF? love it. I still oh, love awesome. it. Yeah, That's it's awesome. it's exciting to uh, to make a difference for our community yeah. and bring people like you to talk to us, and so um, it's uh, it's great to have you back. And so uh, I can't wait to talk about uh, get different and what it's all about. I'm pumped too. So let's let's talk about that. The origin story. I usually do our origin stories just so everybody knows. Go back to one of those other episodes and go listen yeah. to the origin yeah. story. Fantastic. Uh, the way he built himself up, failed multiple times, and then rebuilt himself again into what he is today. It's really, it's a great story. Um, but you've written several books now. Seven, this is seventh? Seventh this book? This is my seventh book, yeah. Seventh book. You've written books on financial management systems and and systems in general, how to build systems out so your life works better with clockwork and and evaluating your business and leveling up with, with uh, Fix This Next. And there's so many books. I, you know, I, I love business books. I, I'm, I'm always reading a business book. And there's so many books on, on marketing and different formulas, quote unquote, on yeah. how to do marketing right. Why did you feel that marketing was the thing that you needed to focus on next? So uh, I love marketing books too. There, there's, there's countless extraordinary ones out there. But I, I did find a gap or something missing. Um, and, and it didn't come out from the books. What what happened was I was, I've been speaking, COVID changed it from in person to these uh, virtual events. But what I would do would survey, I would survey the audiences informally, sometimes in an actual survey, like an email blast or something. But I asked the audience, what is your primary source of leads? Just out of curiosity. And consistently I saw a small business, 
that's that those are my peeps. Like if you do less than a million dollars, I bow to you. Yeah, that's and, us. That's our community. Oh, I love I love it. I love small business because that means the owner is involved at a very visceral level. It's, it's an owner operator typically. And so these owners would raise their hands and say, Oh, I'll tell you the number one way. Uh, it's word of mouth. My my existing clients refer me and uh they're pounding their chest around it. You know, I remember one guy stood up, he's like, hundred percent of my lead for my existing clients. And he's pounding his chest. Yeah. Thought about it for a minute. And I'm like, it is a compliment, right? I mean, your clients hold you in high enough regard that they turn you into other people, their friends and contacts. You know, that, that's significant. But there is a there's an Achilles heel here that's real dangerous. We are at the whim of our customers to do our marketing for us. The day that customer moves out of town, um, goes by the wayside, whatever happens, your marketing is done. That marketing of word of mouth is icing on the cake, but it's not the cake. So that really started this trigger of like, what can we do to control marketing ourselves to, to, to have a deliberate lead flow that when we, we, we want to throttle it up, we can, and we need to throttle it down. We can. And I looked through all these marketing books that I've been reading and they have extraordinary plans, but I couldn't find one that really boiled marketing to its essence. What makes marketing work versus not? Um, and that's why I focus with get different, get different is any marketing you do, any marketing you consider any competitors marketing you look at, you can evaluate as snap of your fingers. Is this going to be successful or not? And then amplify the likelihood for your own marketing to make it wildly successful. So word of mouth and repeat clients. I just did a poll in our Facebook group. We have 7,000 architects in that Facebook group and we did a poll and like way over 70%, there's you know, a couple of different, whether it word of mouth or repeat clients or yeah. referrals, all that same, if you add those numbers up, it was like 80% of that's where most of the leads were coming from. And again, yeah. you were very much like what you just said. Everybody's very proud of that, that they didn't, you know, that that's where their, their, their leads are coming from. Yeah. Um, but like you said, if those, those clients go away or those referrals go away, then what do you do? Then you're done. And so you're in real trouble. Do you have some 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 steps or some tips on on what we should be doing instead of that in order to let's say that we are at eighty percent referrals? What yeah, do we yeah. do? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll give you three specific steps right. to make effective marketing. But let me preface this with something um, that I noticed too. Most marketing efforts that we make fail because two reasons. One is we do a best practice. Typically, what's you know, bounce around in our industry. So you go to an architect conference, and everyone's like, oh, do an email blast or do a Facebook ad or whatever it is, and that will work. We, what we have to realize is if we do what the industry is doing, <clears throat> that the market's already saturated with it. It becomes yeah. invisible. So I, I'm a actually a huge fan of best practices. If you have a best practice to recruit people, I want it. Your best practice to operate my business, I want it. Service. Best practices serve all facets of a business and improve it except for marketing. Because marketing that's successful depends on distinctness, distinctiveness. It must be unique and different. But here's another thing I found interesting is when someone understands that intellectually, emotionally, it's very hard to do. We have this uh, mechanism in us to prevent us from standing out. So if you rewind to like the Neanderthal days of humanity and you and I were in a tribe together, it was to our distinct benefit to work collectively. And if I said, no, I'm going my own way. If I did something different, 
it really put my life at risk. So like you and, and the other hunters are like, we're going after a woolly mammoth. And I'm like, no, 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 let's go after a saber tooth tiger, dudes. <laughs> guys are like, get, get out of here, dude. You're out. You're done. Uh, we don't want you involved. You're, you're not supporting what's in the best interest of the tribe. Therefore, you're out. And back then, if, if you're out in the tundra by yourself, you are dead. Right. So survival depended upon communal effort and agreement to comply. Different was dangerous. But fast forward to today, the consequences of being different aren't life and death anymore. Yeah, maybe your buddies won't hang out with you. Um, but the opportunity for different is extraordinary. If you're the one going after what no one else is going after, you will get all the attention. So you may abandon your current tribe, but there's a new tribe waiting for you. Uh, one example is like, say you're like, hey, let's go out for Mexican food. I'm like, no, no, Indian. And the group is like, screw you. I got to Indian. I might find a whole new group of friends there that love <laughs> the food that I love. So our marketing is interesting is we have this kind of bipolar mechanism playing out. We want to get noticed because there's opportunity, but we don't want to be rejected. So half of us says, I can't be different. And half of us says, I need to. So we want to be noticed without being noticeable. We want to stand out without having to differentiate. So we have to overcome that fear. Now, to get to the steps to do this, so I think it's critical we understand that. Uh, and I, I tell people, um, when, when you feel that fear, realize the work you're doing in marketing is critical. If you're a good architect or a great architect, if you provide better services than your competition, and I suspect you do, you have a responsibility to market. Your, your customers need to discover you because if they don't discover you and they use a subpar provider, that may be their problem, but it's, it's our fault for not having the courage to stand out and get noticed because that is truly of service to our customers. So here's how you do it. Getting back to your question now. With that yeah, actually, before stuff. before you do that, before you jump yeah. in, because I just want to respond to your your comment about, about fear and mindset. Yeah. Uh, because architects have that in spades. They It is really, really bad for architects because – Traditionally, architects, and you may not know this, but traditionally in architecture, the profession for many, many decades actually made it wrong to market. It was it was unethical to market as a professional architect, and so for generations we were trained to not market at all. Marketing is bad. Wow, marketing is bad, and it was beneath us. You know that was sort yeah. of the mindset back then, and so yeah. only in the last few decades have we have we even been allowed to market. And really only in this current generation, this my generation, has been that transition from the mindset that we don't have to market, we traditionally don't market, to we have to market. We absolutely yeah. have to market. It's part of what we need to do. And so, yeah. so the mindset is real for architects. And so the next generation of architects, you know, they're coming, they're, they're digital natives, they are entrepreneurs, they are marketing geniuses yeah. Yeah. from birth because they've been grown up on the internet. And so there yeah. is that mindset shift. And so I just wanted to sort of set that stage that that's who you're talking to. You're talking to people yeah. with those mindsets. That's very helpful. Yeah, in that wiring, it's very visceral. Yeah. Uh, and, and it applies, I think, in all industries. You know, when I market, um, I still get nervous because I don't want to be bothersome. Right. I, I don't want to put something out there and interfere. And because we've all had that someone market to us and it interrupts our day. It's of no value. It's a distraction. It's uncomfortable. So I hear this regularly, this refrain, like, I don't want to bother anyone. Right. Um, they, they need to find me. But the thing is, if a customer's out looking for your services, but don't know you exist, they won't hire you. And it's the ultimate disservice. I, marketing is not manipulation. So marketing isn't saying, 
hey, customer, buy from me, buy from me. Uh, and you just wear them down, they buy from you. Marketing is bringing your offering to their attention so the customer can make an educated decision of what they feel is in their best interest. And if they don't choose to hire you at that point, fine. But if you don't make the effort to get noticed, it's like a boxer with one arm behind their back. Now the customer is disabled. They only got one, one way to go about this. Right. And it's compromising them. So it is absolutely a responsibility. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you mentioned too, like uh, the, the new age, uh, the new generation, and they're right. digitally savvy. And you're right. And they're also falling victim to the lack of differentiation. Yeah. We consistently see us move in packs. So um, a, a new generation person uh, is probably very efficient at online uh, function and therefore could be great at online marketing through ads and so forth, but so is all their contemporaries doing the same thing. Right. So, so here's, there's three elements. I mean, we'll dig in yep. element at a time. The framework for, for get different is an acronym. It's DAD, D-A-D. So it's super easy to remember. The first letter D stands for differentiate. And how this works is I, I was doing research around the human mind, how we as prospects consume information. Um, and it's interesting, there's only three things that we ever pay attention to. One are threats. The number one thing that our mind pays attention to is a threat. In fact, there's a thing called the reticular formation. It's a neural net, basically, it sits at the base of our brain stem. And it's, uh, its core function is actually to ignore things. Right now around us, there's thousands of stimuli that we can pay attention to, but we don't. Because the only way we can accomplish things is if we don't get distracted constantly. So the reticular formation saying not relevant, not relevant, not relevant until a threat presents itself. So like Mark, if you and I are talking, I'm like, Hey, I love me on your show. This is the fourth appearance. This one, we should go for five hours. And you're like, what? And I put a gun down and say, we should go for five hours. That's a threat. I guarantee I'll get your attention. The reticular formation opens up. It says there's a threat here. Life is in jeopardy. Evaluate what to do. Now, the thing is you'll punch me in the nose and knock me out cold. We blood over my face. It is not a good marketing move. It guarantees attention. The second move is opportunity. Same guys having the same conversation. I'm like, Mark, can we do this for five straight hours? Um, if I put down $100,000 in, in cash on the table and say, we should really talk about this, guarantee attention again. Particular formation opens up, says this is a known opportunity. Consider this. And the risk now is me because you may take that money, put in your pocket and say, you know what? I think we're going to stick with the 20 minutes or whatever. And, uh, you've now taken from me. So threat and opportunity, are, there's a third way and always gets attention every single time. It's the unexpected. When the mind doesn't know what's presenting itself, we have to pay attention to it because the mind has to determine, is this a threat or is this an opportunity or is it more ignorable stuff? But until we know that we have to evaluate it. So you and I are outside uh, in the lawn or something, all of a sudden something squiggles on the ground, subconsciously, we are jumping back and paying attention to this where we can't help but look at it because it could be a snake threat. Someone could go turn the hose on, ignorable. Uh, who knows what it, you know, maybe it's a, it's a, someone dropped some money and it just bounced and rolled down, you know, then it's an opportunity. We have to evaluate it. In our marketing, the first step is do what no one else is doing. One caveat, a little asterisk here. I'm not saying be outrageous. You don't have to dress in the clown yaka yaka costume. I'm simply saying, Look at what the established practice is. If everyone is sending out email, maybe email is not the way to go. Maybe you should be sending out a direct mail. Or if everyone's doing email and it's text, maybe you should be the one sending video email. But we have to disrupt 
the common white noise because that will be ignored and you won't get paid attention to. So step yeah. one, differentiate. I just I just had a, an, again back in the Facebook group somebody asking about my sales process. I actually posted an old from the archive a sales system that I used as an architect, and in that system I would send my proposal by email, but then I would follow up with a physical binder with you know a branded binder with papers in it, and it was you know probably five or six years ago I wrote that article, and so mm-hmm. somebody posted, do you still do that? Do you still send the the branded uh, binder? Because everybody now sends just the email, PDF proposal, and you know, yeah. then and then we'll go from there. And I explained that, you know, that that uh, I would still do that. And the reason I would do that is because it's something that's different now. Everybody was sending it by mail then and it was just expected, which is why I did it. But now I would do it even more so because it would make me look different because everybody's emailing. Absolutely. Why not send something in the mail when they get it in the mail? Because everybody's all they get is bills. Now they get this great binder that's got great glossy pictures in it. Totally different than everybody else. Absolutely. So it reminds me of an example of this is, and I'm sure, Mark, you got the, the first time we got an email that started off with the words, hey, friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, whoever, <laughs> how many years ago? I remember my first one. I got this because it was different. So an email always starts off with like, hey, Mike, or no name. But this one said, hey, friend. Different. And I was like, oh my God, like, who's this friend calling me friend? Like this, who's this friendly friend? And I start reading through it. I'm like, oh, it's irrelevant marketing. It's actually a little bit obnoxious. And I was like, okay, not relevant. The second hey friend I got, which was probably a day later, maybe an hour later, I looked at and very cautiously read just a little bit. It's like, oh, it's marketing. I've never looked at a hey friend again. And I've probably gotten hundreds, thousands of hey friend emails. That's how quickly our mind becomes habituated. Yeah. So habituation is something I studied too. That's the reticular formation. It's other parts of our brain too. Very quickly get attuned to what some stimuli is and what it means. Hey friend, within one email became irrelevant. Don't pay attention to it. And I don't. Yeah. You may notice like sirens. If you rewind a couple of decades ago, it was low, high, low, high. You know, that was a siren. Yeah. Now you'll hear chirps, blips. What they're trying to do is disrupt that because our minds become habituated, used to it, and we ignore it. People literally have walked in front of a fire truck going wee, 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 because they didn't even hear it, even though it was blaring right. and it kills the person. So they change up the sound. The same as in marketing. If everyone's saying those emails, that binder is going to crush it because your customer is like, oh, another email, another email. And they become habituated. They, they see that there's no relevancy to them or it's low relevancy. But something that disrupts that pattern, the mind goes into, is this a threat opportunity or is this ignorable? And then when they get this beautiful binder, like, oh, this is an opportunity. You have them fully engaged. Yeah. So we have to be different. That's that's the first, first step in the whole process is figure out how to be different than everybody else. Actually evaluate what everyone else is doing. And do, do the opposite. And then, and then do something different. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. BIM can be important for your next project, but it's not the only thing you need for your next project. That's why it's important that 95% of manufacturers who offer free BIM files on RCAT also offer another type of data or information that your project may need. That means 95% of the products with BIM also have CAD files, are in a specification, in a patented spec wizard, or may have product information to help you make the right selection. So stop going to a site with just BIM 
and go to rcat.com to get everything you need for your next project for free and without registering. No cost, no credit card, no email. It's free. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like us. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you could spend nailing a client pitch, designing your next project, or building your business as an architect. From preparing, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to entrearchitect.com FreshBooks and enter Entre Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section and get more time back to build the business you love. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. One hack too is, uh, so some people say, okay, everyone's doing email, but what should I do? I don't know how to generate ideas. Look at other industries and do uh, some R&D in those industries, which means rip off and duplicate. <laughs> go, go and look at other industries and say, oh, you know, in the cleaning industry, uh, they send out these these nice packages where you can see the product and the package. Maybe. I'll do some packaging, like a binder or something. So you can discover stuff elsewhere. But what I found in this research is differentiate guarantees attention. It works every time for about one-tenth of a second. That's the average retention. The mind operates so quickly, it opens up, it forces it to different parts of our brain, the amygdala, prefrontal cortex, quick analysis happens. So you have to do the next step within one-tenth of a second. I mean, it has to be all blended together. Yep. The next step is attract in this DAD acronym. So differentiate first, attract. Attract means, is there a reason for its customer to engage? Do they see an opportunity for themselves? Solves the problem. Does it invoke curiosity? Does it give them relief in the moment? Does it entertain them? Anything that their mind sees us and says there's value to continue on with this. So one example is like, a, like an attorney that I've been using. If it's say an attorney is doing the closing argument and this is a big case for this defense attorney. And uh, she says, you know what? I'm going to uh, to dress in a Bozo the Clown costume because that guarantees attention. It's different. What attorney does that? And she walks in with the big floppy shoes and the, the, the yucca yucca horn and the squirting you know, daisy on her lapel. Guaranteed, one-tenth of a second, everyone's like, whoa, who's this clown? Like, so you got the different. Yeah, literally, it's different. <laughs> it guarantees attention, but it doesn't pass the next test. It's not attractive, meaning does it speak to what the audience desires, needs? This isn't serious, so it's actually repelling. And you, you'll see this in some advertising or marketing. If someone does something really different, but it's offensive or it's invasive, all those things repel. So what we have to do is say, who's our best target audience? Who are we targeting and what's the message they want to hear? If you don't know who the message is, look at your existing clients, identify who your best clients are and say, call them and say, you know, what's the best way to communicate? What are the things that are important to you? And put that importance right there. Um, if, if someone visits my website, for example, if you want to just check it out, it's mikemotorbike.com. That's 
the, uh, by the way, that's a marketing technique too. My name is Michalowicz. No one can spell it. So what's different? How many people call themselves Mike Motorbike? It's memorable, mnemonic rhyme. But when you get there, you'll see it's different. But my point is this, when you get to the site, you'll see it's different. It should catch your attention right away. But the message hopefully is attractive if it's right for you. It says entrepreneurship simplified. It's a billboard message that for the right audience, they'll say, that's what I'm looking for. Entrepreneurship is complex. It's overwhelming. I want it simplified. So when we put this message out, it's got to be attractive. Now, it doesn't have to be billboard short. It can be long copy. This can be successful. But the key is the longer your message is, you have to keep them engaged throughout. So you're putting yourself at risk every second as you move along. If you're not getting to the next step, uh, you're putting yourself at risk of just losing them because they get bored or they lose value in what you're, you're presenting. Right. So you, you need to, to be different. And then as immediately, right, you're catching that attention. You have to do something that attracts them because they're going to make an evaluation. They're going to say, okay, you have my attention. What do you got? And then you're going to exactly. present something and they're going to be like, nope, not for me. Bye. Or yeah. they're going to be like, yeah, that's me. What else? Yep. Yeah. They're going to that what else right away. Right. So I call it the blink test. If you blink right now as fast as you can, the fastest you can blink is still slower than how the mind processes. So I call it the blink test. Like within a blink, you got to be different. Within a blink, you must be attractive. And if you're going to continue that message, and sometimes you have to, they're still blinking. Subconsciously, they're saying, is there value to continue on this? Is there value to continue? And at a certain point, they're going to abandon. So you want to move as efficiently toward the third stage, which is direct. And direct is to give the prospect specific and explicit direction on what to do now. Singular direction. Here's the key. It needs to be reasonable. And a lot of people miss this. Like if you're in the market for a car and I, and I draw you into my, my uh, parking lot, that, that balloon thing, you know, pops right. around, yep. which by the way was different. That's losing its appeal. Right. You've become habituated saying, Oh, you know, flappy thing. That's a car dealer or nothing unique about them. But the first one that did that was really unique. Still has value because we still associate it only with car dealers primarily, but slowly starting to saturate and therefore it'll be of no longer of impact. But say I get into my dealership, you say, Hey Mike, I'm looking for a car. And I go, Mark, why don't you give me a hundred thousand dollars right now? We're going to find your dream car. That is so unreasonable. It's so absurd. It's offensive. No way you're out. And I lose the opportunity. What I need to do is give you direction that you feel comfortable and safe in, but moves you toward the final transaction, which is the car purchase. So maybe reasonable, I can say, Mark, why don't you give me your cell number? We have inventory here. We have other lots too. I will get pictures of our inventory and send it to you. So if you can see if we're finding a car that matches the dream or vision you have, that may be a low enough reasonable ask, but it's significant because now I have a way to contact and stay engaged with you. And then I can try to matriculate down to the final transaction. So you have to have a direct, it has to be specific and not like, you know, you can give me your cell number or you can give me your mailing address, or you can peek in anytime right. you want. That's or, important. Yeah. It's gotta be singular. It's gotta be specific, but it's got to be reasonable. The last thing I just want to share about this subject is, or, or this element, what I find so funny is uh, all ads are lauded for their marketing savvy. And I'm like, they kind of, they kind of miss out on one of the pieces. They are great on differentiate because those ads are unique and new. Uh, if you watch the Super Bowl, that's the first time those ads are posted. So it's fresh. 
there's even a buildup. People are like, I can't wait to see the ads this year. Right. That's different. They're attractive. You got Clydesdale clapping around. You got snow coming down. There's a Budweiser caravan, whatever, whatever that thing is called that the horses are pulling. And it's very appealing, but they don't have a direct. It blows my mind. Budweiser doesn't say at the end of the commercial, you know, scan this QR code or give us your email address and we'll send you a coupon for a six pack or send you a free six pack. They would get hundreds of thousands, probably millions yeah. of subscriptions right there, which could be massive conversion. That could represent millions of dollars. But no, all they say is Merry Christmas or enjoy the football game. And so they're missing an opportunity. Now, one caveat, Budweiser's budget is massive. They can afford to achieve what's called uh, frequency, repetition. They're putting the brand out there over and over again. They're building brand awareness. We, small businesses, do not have that luxury. When you have, when you differentiate and get noticed, when you have something attractive, you have to start engaging that customer. You can't say, well, maybe they'll come back two months from now. They won't remember who you are. So you have to have that direct. So is there is there an important step after that? I know because I understand we have to we have to d- differentiate, we have to attract, we have to direct, basically direct them to do to take action, right? It's a it's a call to action. Take action to move them toward the toward the ultimate transaction. Right, but you want to do this in a reasonable manner, so relatively simple, yeah. relatively easy. So there's very little friction. You want them to push a button or or dial a phone or yep. send a text message, something simple that that's reasonable and expected, right? That's what they're looking for. They are looking for that next step, and so there's the next step. Let's take that. Um, when you when you once they do that, right? And now you you've engaged them. Now they've engaged you. Um, yeah. Do you go through this process again on a larger scale, or what do you do once you've made that connection in terms of the marketing side of it? Yeah, then you start looping in the AC component. So the the uh, the AD. So the f- first D is differentiate. Differentiate is used to garner attention. Right. Once you've you have that, attention, right. you don't need to get attention again unless you lose it. You know, you, you schedule a call with a customer and the customer doesn't call you back. Uh, you got to do something that's different to to get attention again. Maybe they just forgot about you. So saying on email saying Mr. a call and it's not getting responses, you got to change something up because it clearly is not working. But once you have their attention, then we need to do something that's attractive and uh, something that directs over and over again until we get to the final transaction. The, the balance here is you want to be reasonable to the customer, but you want to be efficient for yourself. You know, these learn more loops forever and you will lose a customer. That's the old show up and throw up. Like, oh, hey, thanks for signing for a site. Here's some brochures and examples of what we've done. Um, Next step is, you know, we can take you for tours of other facilities uh, that or, or buildings that have been built around our work. Next step is you should visit our office. And it's like, we can stretch this out forever and the customer just abandons. Like the customer, once they're attracted to what you have and they have a need for what you offer, they want to be sold. They don't want to be sold to, they want to be convinced that it's the best decision or they at least want to have the information. So we have to keep, once we have their contact information, for example, we have to put something else that's attractive in front of them saying, let's have a phone call so we can understand the scope of what you're looking to do. For example, with this, I can start coming up with some preliminary budgets for you, or we can talk about some designs. And then once you have that call, the next thing, maybe uh, we need to come into the studio or are going to come to your, your home and we're just going to have an ideation session. Um, and at that point I need a deposit to, to continue forward. So you, you got to figure out these steps and we can reverse engineer our way there. At the end of the day, I want to get a contract uh, to do some design work. And I, you know, I want to sell deals for $30,000. I don't know what the number is, but I pick the number. Then I reverse it and say, what's reasonable to get there? Yeah. 
in, con in contrast, I'm an author guy. I sell books. They cost $30, not 30,000. So for me, I don't need to go through as many steps. It's such a, the ultimate ask is so reasonable. Sometimes I can have people just come to my website and say, thanks for checking out my website, buy the book now. And that, that's direct. And that's reasonable because it's such a low cost point. So we have to evaluate where we're moving them toward, what the ultimate risk is financially, and then get them there as quickly and as efficiently as possible, but reasonably for them. Right, right. And, and it, there's a transition that happens as well. As you were just describing what you were talking about, you started talking about sell and sailing and uh, sell and selling and sold. Yeah. Use those words multiple times. So somewhere in that transition, you've you've you have uh, differentiated, you have attracted, you have gave them given them direction, and at some point that direction is leading to your sales system, which is different than your marketing system, 100%. right? And so that's the goal of marketing is to get them into the sales system. Into the sales system, yeah, and. Effective marketing gets into the sales system where they're already convinced. Like the best right. marketing is you don't need to sell me. I am sold. Let's do the transaction. That's the ultimate form of marketing. And that's the goal of this marketing is to get them there, get in there confident and ready to roll. And then we we consummate the deal with a transaction. Right. And that's what I love about all your books, Mike, is that is that you've taken complicated subjects and you've made them simple, right? Profit yeah. first has taken financial management, this big scary monster, and has said, it. okay, this is how simple it is. Just do this, right? Make these One certain second. accounts and just do these simple things. And then every book you've written since then has been very similar. You've taken this big topic and you've, you've written it in a way that, that is easy to digest and simple to execute. And that is what you just went through with DAD is that you've taken the big monster of marketing and said, here are the three steps. Just do these three steps. And then if you need to, do these three steps again until you get to the sales system and then That's run right. your sales system. That's right. That's right. I, uh, you know, I was looking about all the, I was looking at all the literature, all the information out there about marketing, and it really is excellent. They focus on marketing plans mostly. And I'm like, oh, this isn't about a marketing plan. These are about experiments really. This is just the, the micro element of what makes marketing successful. And once you nail that, then it becomes a plan. Now it's something you roll out. I myself said, oh, you know what? This is just a few years ago. We got to start uh, running some ads because I heard everyone's doing ads on Facebook. Let me do it. And I really didn't go in with any experiments. I just, I just put it out there, not knowing if it'd be successful or not. And when it failed, I said it didn't work. Or some people fall subject to the other. There's a lie in marketing saying when something's not working, you're simply not doing enough of it. Those ads you ran not working, you got to do more of it. That ad you put in the newspaper, you got to spend more money to make it work. And uh, that's not true. What, what's truthful is once we start doing these experiments, if there's a measurable component to it, and that's another key I put in this book, is there's got to be some way to know if it's working or not. Is it attracting? Is it directing? Once you know something's working, then you start amplifying and start putting some dollars behind it. But if something's not working, we have to continue to mold it until it does. Yeah, that's really important, the the metrics of it. So do these three simple steps, then evaluate whether those three simple steps worked. And if they do, do it again and do it better and just keep improving it. If it doesn't work over time, you have to do something different. I, uh, with my email, it's like, wow, everyone, all my contemporaries that are authors email their list, I'm emailing my list, so that's all the same, that's not gonna work. So we started running different experiments. So I'll give you a sample, just how simple this can be. Uh, experiments 
I believe should cost very little or nothing. And you can sample with a small group. And then if it gets traction, you build on it. So I was looking at email, I'm like, hmm. every email I looked at of my contemporaries in my own emails, it's text email, sometimes a video email. So I was like, what if I did the opposite of a text email that you can read? And what if I send out an email you can't read? Like that's the opposite. If you can see it, what if you can't see it? So that's exactly what I did. I did an invisible text uh, email. And what I did was I just changed the font from black to white. And above it in black text, I said, this is an invisible ink email. <laughs> Simply drag over this to see your message. That's funny. Now that was, it worked extraordinarily well. And here's why. First of all, it was different, right? So who gets invisible ink emails? Probably, probably never got one. No. Nope. Secondly, it's attractive because it, in this case, it harkens back to yesteryear as a kid, uh, maybe right. did the invisible ink messages. Magic pen, yeah. Magic, the magic pen. Me too. And so that harkens back to that. So it, it also plays into other attractive levers. Curiosity is the massive lever. So what's the message? Um, and then it had a direct in it saying, hey, since you discovered this message, please respond to me with your message. And our response rate was a multiple, I think a three or four times better than we've ever had historically. Now, I gladly put that stuff out there because here's what's interesting. When we do something different and we share it with others, two things happen. One is it's shocking how a few people do it. So your listeners all heard this now. I bet you, sadly, few will do it because we're fearful to do it. I encourage everyone to do it uh, because if if one person, if you're the everyone who actually decides to do it, you'll be unique. Secondly, by putting out uh, different ideas, it's interesting, but spawns more ideas. I, I'm not clinging on to it, trying to hold on to them. It's like, here's a different idea. Right. Let me find another one. So it's actually been a trigger of innovation for us and in coming up with new ideas for ourselves. Always bringing the thunder as, as uh, Gary V says, bringing the thunder. Thank you, Mike. I, I appreciate you. And, uh, and um, always bringing everything that you do, the value that you bring to us is so uh, fantastic. And I love the simplicity. You always break it down. So Thank it's you. easy to understand. Um, it's why your books so, sell so well. It's, it's, you know, we're, we're all trying to figure this thing out. And when yeah. you get a book, that makes a difference in a really easy way to understand it, uh, they start talking about it and they start selling books. So I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, Get Different is the name of the book. Uh, before we wrap up, um, you're talking to thousands of small firm architects, sole practitioners, micro firms, uh, small firms. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today, right now, to yep. build a better business for tomorrow? So in the marketing front, you can do something starting immediately. Uh, and this will start building your marketing muscle. It's random acts of kindness. And here's what I found is we've had hundreds of people go through this program. Uh, as I was writing the book, I noticed that there was this fear of getting out there that first marketing experiment, even the invisible ink email. There's a, there's a little bit of an internal terror. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, how are people going to respond? Start doing random acts of kindness. Leave a, a note for one of your office mates or for a neighbor just saying, just want you to know, I appreciate the work you do or the, the, that you're a part of this neighborhood. Um, pay, pay the meter in the parking lot for somebody else. Pay a lunch or a drink uh, for somebody else. What you'll notice is the sensation you feel is joy because you've contributed and served someone. And do this consistently. And then what you'll notice is something really interesting. I believe the ultimate act of kindness is marketing. Because if your architectural firm provides excellent service, and you are better than the alternatives in some or many capacities, we have to be discovered. 
and you'll find joy now in marketing. So start with random acts of kindness, and then we'll wrap it up with the deliberate act of kindness of marketing your firm. Love it. His name is Mike Michalowicz. You can learn more about him at MikeMichalowicz.com or MikeMotorbike.com. We'll get you there as well. Um, we'll have links to, to Mike's website on the show notes. The book is Get Different, Marketing That Can't Be Ignored. It's coming out on September 21st, 2021. If you're listening to this into the future, go buy it. Go, go pre-buy it if you hear this before then. Um, it's going to be good. Every book Mike has written I have has resonated directly with me as a small firm architect, and so I have no doubt this one will as well. You can learn more about the book and order the book at gogetdifferent.com. It's gogetdifferent.com. Go there now and go buy a book. Mike, I appreciate you not just for coming on to the podcast and, and sharing your knowledge here, um, but being a part of the small business community, you've made uh, the lives of so many people uh, throughout the world, you know, in small business, but specifically in small business architecture. We are small business people um, and we are struggling. We have no idea how to run businesses. We are not trained in architecture school how to run businesses. And your books sort of break it all down to makes it easy to understand and easy to execute. And so I appreciate you for doing all the work that you're doing and for coming here at Entree Architect and sharing your knowledge every time you can uh, at Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thank you. You really touched my heart by saying that. Thank you. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how you could help grow Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, Arcat and FreshBooks, for their support of this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all our resources that we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. That's you. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Go there now. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources for architects, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and simple systems. Our new business system program developed for you, the small firm entrepreneur architect. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA continuing education learning units. Yep. They are there, there too. Entree Architect is there for you. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Thanks for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. 
where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. (laughs) So for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.